lusts and pleasures, spending our ta- life in malice and envy, hating, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which have been done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus 3, 3-7. Yeah. Read me seated. We've got a, it's an exciting day. We have life groups today. I know that Dan mentioned those. And those are a time where we get to get together and, uh, later in the day with, uh, with, with people and talk about some of the things we, we're going to discuss here in the next bit. And it's sharing life like that is a tremendous spiritual exercise for us and helps us to, to really go deep with, with God and, uh, and reflect in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. So I'd encourage you to participate in those life groups. Uh, if you haven't been invited to one, you can see Rob, and he'll, he'll get you set up and, and go in the right direction. Also, there's a, I think it's mentioned in the bulletin, there's a devotional tonight for the REACH group, the middle schoolers and high schools at the Crooks House tonight at 6.30. And you're welcome to attend. Roots crew, if you're around as well, you're welcome to come and, and participate. And uh, I know with the, the roads and the icy iciness. Um, there's uh, changes, a few things, but we're going to be there 6.30 tonight, and, and you're welcome. All right, we're going to continue on in Romans. We're going to be in Romans 6 and 7 today. And as we've continued to walk through the book of Romans, you remember the context is there is, because of some political things that happened, the Jews established the churches in Rome, and then they had to, and many Gentiles became Christians, then the Jews had to leave. So the Gentiles, all of a sudden, half the church is gone. And they are the ones that are, that are learning to lead the church, uh, flying, just learning on the fly, I guess we can say. And then next, the Jews are able to come back. And so you have all of these people trying to figure out how to get along and how to, to come together and get on the same page in Christ. And so we're going to look at uh, 6 and 7 here in the next, uh, next little bit. But there's a question that comes up in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may, may increase? In other words, the, the, the idea here is, now that I have God's grace, can I sin all I want? Um, there is a, there's such a thing as dumb questions in life, you know? And I was thinking about dumb questions and, and talking to my wife about it. And How many of you have ever asked a dumb question? Okay. Yeah, we've all asked dumb questions. There's, there's all sorts of, of examples we can come up with. Uh, one of the questions that, that I feel is a dumb question is when we're traveling somewhere with it, uh, and uh, someone from the back seat says, are we there yet? Come on. <laughs> if the car's not stopped, we're not there yet. This is, you know, I, I would consider that a dumb question. I remember in an email that I got here a while back, it was one of those emails that was supposed to be helpful and it, share, and it shared ten things that men must understand and, or tips to, to understand how to, how to get along with the ladies in their life. And one of the, question, one of the, the numbers in, their, in this top ten list was never, ever, under any circumstance, ever, ever, ask a woman if she is pregnant. Okay, because sometimes that just does not go very well. And I thought about, wait a minute, that goes both ways. Because I know that after Thanksgiving and all of that, if a lady comes up to me and asks me if I'm pregnant, I don't appreciate that either. You know, it's, it's, all, it's one of those questions, I guess, that we can all of us just leave aside and, and maybe not ask. But this question here, that 
that Paul, and, and it, it's not the only time it comes up in Romans, it comes up several times here, is that, wait a minute, now that I have God's grace, does that mean I can just, I'm home free and I can go sin all I want and, and I am good to go because I'm not under the law anymore? And you can imagine how this tension must have built within the churches there. As some of these maybe very young Christians are thinking, wait a minute here, how does, how does this work? Now that we're not under law anymore, now that the Jewish law is gone, and the Jewish law always kept us on the straight and narrow. It gave us a point by point how we were supposed to act. Now that's not there. Can I just go and do what I want and just run into sin and know that God is going to make up the difference? Is that what's going to happen? And Paul takes a couple of chapters to say, no, that's not it. That's not a good idea, and that's not what God wants of you at all. And so we're going to continue, and we're going to look at this. But there is, Paul is, is circular in his reasoning, and he shares this in, in different ways. And so I'm going to start from chapter 7 and work back. But understand he shares these things uh, throughout this, uh, these couple of chapters here. But if you look at Romans chapter 7, let's, let's start in verse 14. Something he shares here is, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death that is subject to, that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Okay, when we read through that, how many of us can identify with that on some level? Okay, We can identify with that because we understand that that sinful nature tends to come up. And there is a side we want to do right, we want to do good, and we want to press through doing that. But sometimes it feels that we're just not able to, to live up to that. Now, if you, if you have situations in your life where those reoccurring sins come, I know that I read this and, and I identify with this, and I'm frustrated by that because I want things to be better and I want things to be different. Okay, here's the difficulty, though, is that when we as Christians, and, and, we, and I've done this myself, okay, guilty, I admit this, and I'm going to share this here, is that I can look at this section right here of Romans chapter 7 and say, oh yeah, I can identify with that, and therefore I use that as a license to not become the person that God wants me to be. Do you see that, what happens there? You see how that can happen? Is I can look at this and say, oh yes, I'm going to struggle, I've, I'm, I'm always going to have this, the, these sins here, and, and I just can't seem to do the things that I want to do. And the problem is, is I can allow that to become a license for myself to just just not become the person that wants to that God wants me to be. Not become that new creation. Not become, as Paul talks about in the next chapter, someone who is more than conquer, but someone that, that continues to, to wrestle and to be to be caught in the middle of, of this battle back and forth. 
And I can find myself in that situation. And Paul's intention here, as he's writing the Romans, is for us to understand that while this may be the human condition, that we're never going to be what we want to be, is that God does provide something much greater for us. God wants us to to be able to move beyond this human condition into something else. Now, he's going to come back and talk about that here in a minute. But let's go, first of all, to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 3 through 14. And I'll, I'll read part of this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let your sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so there is, a, in this section here, Paul starts off with saying, or don't you know that all of you, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And what he's doing is he's calling these Roman Christians to reflect on, on their baptism, that time when they, they came to God. And he talks about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which is, that's the gospel. That's the good news that we have that has changed everything for us. It's changed our eternity. It's changed our present life. And he, he shares that. Remember that, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when you were baptized, when you came to God, you received that same thing. You have experienced this death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. There's a couple of, of sketches, and... Uh, these sketches I found, and they are the font and the graphics are quite dated. So if we have some techie people in the crew, techie people in the crew, if you guys want to redraw this, Lyle, that's, is that you, Lyle? Lyle's techie, artistic? No. He's a firefighter. He just puts fires out. That's what he does. None of this techie stuff. No. And so if there's some techie types, you want to redraw some of this in, in fonts that are more fresh, please talk with me because I would love to have those. So this is the idea. Hey, Jesus, as Paul is sharing right here in Romans chapter 6, is that Jesus was executed. He went into that grave. He was there for, for three days, as we know, and was resurrected never to die again. And, and he conquered death. And he's, he's gone to be with God to prepare a path for us all to go to be with God, to, to raise to never die again. And so what Paul does is he uses this imagery of the gospel and says that's what happens with your old life before you came to god you had this old life that you could really identify with romans chapter 7 that we read before being being a slave to sin the sinful nature is that it seemed like no matter how hard you tried no matter how hard you put effort into it you could never ever change things up things were always just caught in this this nasty in a sinful spiral but when you came to god that old life died with Christ. You go into that water, you're buried, 
and you come up and you're raised to a new life. And things are different. Things are different. He's reminding the Romans of this. Here's another sketch that gives this picture as well. The gospel enacted in in baptism. And you see that there's, um, as Jesus is on the cross there, someone is there before, is is putting their their life to to death. They go into burial and water and they come up in, in resurrection. And life is changed at that point in time. And those are, that's the, the imagery that Paul shares here, is that's what, what it looks like when, when you come to God. That's how things look like when you, when you come into to his, his kingdom. Okay, let's talk about this and unpack this a little bit more here, though. There's some confusion that happens in our religious culture that's unfortunate, and so we're going to talk through that here a little bit before we go on to what it means to be slaves of righteousness, as, as Paul's going to share here. But God works through baptism to set us free from sin. You see this twice in, in Romans chapter 6. You see it in verse 7. Let's go ahead and read that again. Verse 7. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now we go down into that, that water and we come up and our, our sins are forgiven and we're transformed and we're changed. Okay. So let's, let's unpack this a bit here. Because when we go through Romans... What we see over and over again, and that's actually the foundation of this question in chapter 6, if we can call it the dumb question, can I just, now that I'm, I'm part of God's people, can I just sin and go for it and know that somehow God's grace is going to increase and just get, get, get greater through, through my willful, sinful behavior? Paul says that's not it. Okay, remember when you came to Christ, okay? And, and he speaks, again, throughout Romans, talking about faith. Faith saves us. Coming to faith is, is, is something that is different than the law. Okay? Now, what we're going to see is that faith and baptism are things that never should have been separated. And they have been separated by church history, which is unfortunate. And we can see at times where there's, there's, there's groups throughout church history that will emphasize baptism to the point that faith is excluded. And that sometimes, there's, I know that there, there's, there's groups even now that will baptize infants. The idea of, of baptizing, allow, allowing someone to, to receive the grace of God that has no ability to choose or to, to make that decision for themselves. So faith is completely removed from that. And it's almost set aside as baptism is this magic formula that, that as long as you do that, it doesn't matter what else happens and everything is, is, is good and taken care of. I know that I've had question, or conversations with people before that have said something like, ask them if they're a Christian, and they said, well, I was baptized. And, and that's just, that, that, that's not a great answer because what it doesn't demonstrate is someone wanting to be a disciple or wanting to, to have a faith of, that a life has changed. And so what we, is that baptism without faith is just getting wet. That's all it is. And that's what we see in Scripture is that baptism is always accompanied with a desire to be a disciple of God. Okay? But here on the other side, because of some things that happened in church history, Sometimes, you know, we as people, and I'm speaking to just us in general as, as a population around the world, as people seeking to come to God, is that faith sometimes has been removed from, from baptism in that there's, I've had conversations with people that have, that have almost been hostile towards the idea of being baptized. No, I don't need to be baptized because I have faith in God. I don't need that. I don't, you know, what's that for? That's just, and there's all sorts of descriptions of what it is, but it's not something that is connected with with, with, with sins being forgiven, which is, that's a really new concept in church history. There is, you don't see 
Anyone in church history, when you go back through all the, the discussions of, of how people come to God, you don't see the idea of someone coming to God without being baptized until about 1500. And so it's pretty new. So for 1,500 years after Jesus, it was just understood and assumed that, that there was always baptism involved in, in someone coming to God. But when we put them together, we see that there, there should not really be a tension there at all. Is that what Paul is sharing, and he's sharing throughout Romans, is that faith and baptism should be things that come together and, and work together. Is that we come to God and we develop faith and we develop uh, understanding of Him and we decide that we're, start, we're going to follow Him, then the natural response is that we submit to God in baptism, our sins are forgiven, and we come into the kingdom of God. And the same is true on the other side. If we are uh, pursuing a, a, a life of, of trying to uh, go at things ourselves and, uh, and want to, uh, to, to have baptism without faith, then all we're going to do is, is get ourselves wet but we're not going to ever become a disciple of God. If you look at, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Here's, there's several places in the New Testament that we could look at it. But look at Acts 22. The story of Paul, this is his own story. The guy who's writing the book of Romans. But he was a guy that grew up as someone who had it all. He had the right parents. He had the right education. He had the right everything for being a great Jewish young man. And as he goes through, he's, he starts to, to hate these Christian types or these, these, these Jesus followers because they are messing up everything that he had come to understand about God. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and we see this in Acts chapter 9. We see this discussion. He's on his way to Damascus. And as he's on his way there, he's going to persecute the Christians. He sees something amazing. Is that Jesus appears to him in this bright light and... Paul is humbled. He's scared. He's humbled. He has this great faith experience. And they have this conversation back and forth, and Jesus says, who are, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And he gives him instructions. He's supposed to go to Ananias in, uh, in town there, and he's supposed to, to hear the message of, of God. And for Paul, you can imagine that that was about the biggest Jesus faith experience that I could have imagined. I've never had something like that. I've never been walking down the road, and all of a sudden there's a bright light that brings me to my knees, and I'm blind for several days afterwards. I've never had an experience that powerful. But if you look at chapter 22, Paul is referring. He's actually there at the, in the, around the temple grounds, and his own people, the Jews, are trying to kill him because there's all sorts of rumors about about what he's, he's trying to teach and what he's trying to, to do. But if we look at his story here, and I'm going to read and start reading in verse 6 and so we get this here. He says he's telling his story to these Jews that are listening to him. They're mad. Oh, man, they're mad. Verse 6, About noon I came near Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told what you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. 
Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And he continues to to share his story from there. But for us today, what's important to note is that Paul had, at this point in time, a faith that was developing in Jesus. He was starting to realize, yeah, this is the guy I need to follow. This is one that I'm willing to give my life to. Um, not a, you know, on my way to Damascus, I wasn't there at all, and things changed very quickly for me. But you notice what Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, and calling on his name. And the only way I can understand that, interpret that, is that Paul was being told by Ananias, is that even though you've had this great faith experience, even though you've had this, this fantastic Jesus moment, if you will, that has only brought you to the point where your job is to get up and be baptized so that your sins are washed away. That's, that's what I'm calling you to do. And so when we go back to Romans 6, what we see is, is Paul is sharing there, and he's reminding all these, these Roman Christians there of the same experience that he had, that they've had, is that when they developed a faith in God, they couldn't help but to say, I want to be part of this, and I want to follow Jesus, and I'm willing to submit to God in baptism, and my sins are forgiven, and I come up and I live a new life, as he Scripture shares. And... And so that is something that, for the Roman Christians that are listening to all this, that's something that should convict them to say, wow, I did make that decision. And so the question is, am I going to indulge in sinful behavior and pursue that? The answer is no, because I remember. I remember my, the time that I came to Christ, I decided to, to let that old person die and to leave that old person behind. And so the answer is no, I should not pursue a life of sin. But Paul continues on here, and he shares what, what God's plan for them is. Let's go back to chapter 6 of Romans. Romans chapter 6. I'll start reading in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Here's the, the dumb question again, I guess. By no means. Don't you know that... When you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves to slaves to, as slaves of righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul says, here's the deal. You don't want to go back to being a slave of sin anymore, but God has called you to be a slave of righteousness. Now for us, that concept, Paul's going to spend a lot more time 
really chapters 12 through chapter 16, really talking about what it means to be a slave of righteousness. But for us, I find it hard for me to want to have the word slave associated with me in any way, shape, or form. I resist that because of uh, the way our country is, the way our laws are, and the history that we have with slavery that's been, that was disastrous. And so I wrestle with that. And maybe a way to think about it is, is that because of us being creation, we're not creator, we are creation, we're created in God's image, is that we only have two options in this life. This is something that I, I know that when I made some trouble in middle school once, uh, my dad talked with me about, and he said, Chris, you've got a choice in life. You're either going to be a slave to sin, and it's going to dominate your life, and it's going to destroy you, or you're going to decide you're going to be a slave to righteousness. Those are your two options that you've got, and you've got to choose one of the two. And no one else can choose that for you, but you've got to decide that. And I guess it made me think, because I remember that lecture or discussion or whatever, because that's, that's where we, we end up, is we've got to choose one of those two. If I'm going to be a slave to righteousness or I'm going to be a slave to sin. But I think about, how does, how do, what does that look like, being a slave to righteousness? And we're going to talk about a, a, some of the details and more specifics later as we go along. But looking at the big picture, try to think, what does that look like? When we go back to, I know that we know the song, Pierce My Ear, O Lord My God. You know that song? That comes from the... Uh, the tradition that happened during that time, because, again, half of Romans were slaves. And this was a tradition before then that, that comes from the, from, from the Jews. And, but the idea was, is when you, some people, when they were slaves to a family, they loved that family and they appreciated that family and they embraced that family and that lifestyle so much that they would submit themselves to go to the doorpost have their ear pierced, and a ring put in their ear that signified that they were going to be with that family for life. And I think about that, and I think, well, I wouldn't want to commit myself to that for life. You know, what happens if things change? You know, all that kind of stuff that goes in my head. But think about this. There was a, a story that I found to be, uh, to be very helpful trying to think through this concept. And something that actually happened in, in my hometown uh, that, that there's... Um, I never talked with the people involved. I've just heard this story from many others. As there's a, if you, you make it up to Libby sometime, there's a couple of restaurants that you need to hit. You know, amazingly, Libby's got a little town up there in the middle of nowhere that there is a, there's some, some neat places, and maybe just because it's home I hit these places. But I know that I went and ate at a place. There's a, a Mexican place called Rosita's that is there. And the history of how that place came to be is pretty neat because there is a... How the story is, is there's a, a family of husband and wife that were both physicians. And they have several children. And so somewhere along the line, they hired a family, a Hispanic family, to come and, and take care of their home because they were both working a lot, take care of their home, help raise their children. And, to, and somehow, I don't know how any of that relationship started at all. But at some point in time... This, uh, this family of doctors moved to Libby, and they, I guess, wanted an adventure or something, and moved to Libby, and this family that worked for them moved with them. And when they got to town, one of, something that happened that was, that was really interesting, the story, I think it's a beautiful story, is, and I don't know who started this discussion or what, but the family that, was, that served the family of doctors they 
decided they wanted to start a restaurant. And so they started this little restaurant, Rosita's. And they would um, uh, work for the family part of the time, and then in the evenings they would open up this restaurant. And what happened is this family of husband and wife that are doctors, what they would do is they said, we want to help you succeed. We want this to go. We want, we want this to be something that's, that's successful. And so the, the lady, I, I believe she's a pediatrician, she would go and wait tables at night. The pediatrician would wait tables. It, you know, cool story, isn't it? And so she would wait tables to help get things rolling and get things moving with this family. And so this, this restaurant expanded and became quite, quite popular. I know I was there with my folks um, at the beginning of last month, and it was packed in there. There was people in there, tremendous food. And this family, the doctors, ended up moving again. And this family that, that works with them decided to move and to accompany with them. They sold the restaurant, and they, they moved to the next place that this family was going to be. And so I don't know anything about that dynamic. I don't even know their names. But something I think about is that family of doctors must be really amazing people to work for if you have a family that will move from place to place to place all over and continue to, to want to work for them. And I think about that. There's a great spiritual principle in here, and that's what, what Paul is getting to, is that why on earth, when you have a God that has come down here, has sacrificed himself for you, that gives you all these blessings, why on earth would you ever want to deliberately indulge in pursuing that sinful nature and going down that road to slavery to sin again? You wouldn't want to do that. And so this question is, should I, all right, can I, can I jump in and, and continue to sin because I know that God's grace is going to cover it? I think Paul would say is that question demonstrates a lack of faith. You misunderstand who God is and what your relationship to God is. And when we really understand more and more as we go along how good God is to us and the blessings that he continues to shower on us and... Uh, and just how good we have it when we choose to be slaves to righteousness. It's one of those relationships that we want to hang on to, that we want to pursue, and we don't want to go back to where we were before at all because of how good we've got it right now. And as I try to think about how the people in, in Rome initially that are hearing this letter would have responded, that had to have been comforting. It had to have been encouraging for them to think about, okay, yeah, that's it. This isn't about me getting away with sin, um, and maybe I'm uncomfortable that some of the law has been done away with, that some of these dietary um, things that, I've been, that we were called to in the Old Testament, that I see the Gentiles there with me, they're not participating in those. I can do it. It's fine if I choose that, but I, I don't have to, and they don't have to. And Boy, this makes me uncomfortable, but maybe there's something bigger is that I can let go of some of my tradition and realize that serving God and pursuing being a slave of righteousness is going to somehow make all of these details come together. It's going to settle out. Because if we all do that, there's a, we're going to find that we're going to find peace and we're going to find unity. And God's going to lead us through whatever differences and difficulties we may have. And I think that that's got to be true for us too, isn't it? When all of us decide we're going to be people that commit ourselves to not being um, slaves to, to sinful nature, but being slaves to righteousness, saying, I'm going to, <laughs> I love this relationship that I have with God, and I don't want to do anything, anything ever to endanger that. 
But I want to pursue God and pursue His what, what He's done for me because it is so good with Him that I couldn't dream of doing anything else. Then when we, we get our heads there and we get our hearts there, we find that we really change and we really transform to be more and more what God wants us to be. And my prayer is that we can do that more and more every day. And if, if you don't know that grace and that peace, then, boy, let's change that. You know, you don't want to go through life having these burdens of, of being separated from God and just not having this, this great relationship with this Creator that has made us. And you can talk to me. I'll be there in the back afterwards. You're welcome to come forward if you want to become Christian today. There's elders that are waiting in the back to pray with you as well. My prayer for all of us is that we go through this week and we remember what a great relationship that we have with God and we willingly pursue being a slave of righteousness in everything we do. Let's stand and sing together.